Andy Tobler, Truth Warrior, Woke Destroyer, on News Talk STL. Good morning, St. Louis. This is Paul Kurtman filling in for Dr. Randy Tobler. Dr. Tobler is out today, so I have an opportunity to get behind the microphone, usually reserved for Dr. Tobler. In the studio with me today is Max Foise, helping run the board. And we've been having a good conversation. If you weren't listening in the last hour, we've been talking talking about a number of things. But what's really dominating the news cycle, of course, is this whole Russian invasion mm-hmm. in uh, in Ukraine. And we've been talking we've been talking a little bit about how uh, the Russian government has been pushing civilians to take up arms and how they've been trying to train them and it has just been a really interesting uh, scene that we're watching unfold. This is almost like watching a movie unfold because we've always seen movies, we've always heard stories people have envisioned, they've tried to tried to imagine what a Russian invasion would look like and now we're actually seeing it take place. Fortunately not on American soil, mm. fortunately it's uh, not here right now but it is unfortunately happening nonetheless in Ukraine. I got a clip though because the Ukrainian, I don't think that it has just been a walk in the park. I think last hour I said like there's been over 3,000 casualties in Russia. I saw that in an article. I just don't think it's that big but certainly there are casualties because we know that there's battles specifically for airfields. Uh, we got a clip. Let's go ahead and play that Play that clip, clip number seven, Max. The Russian offensive against Ukraine continues at this hour. We are seeing reports of renewed fighting and clashes in a number of different locations. Today, just outside the capital of Kyiv, there was a back and forth between Russian and Ukrainian forces. The Russians brought in attack helicopters taking over a strategic airfield. We are learning this evening, according to the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense, that airfield has been recaptured by Ukrainian forces. That was not the case in other parts of the country, including the north, where in the Chernobyl region, Russian troops crossed over from Belarus and they were able to advance against Ukrainian forces and take over that position. There you have it. The Russians had taken a Ukrainian airfield. The Ukrainians were pushed off the perimeter. They were pushed outside of the base. They staged a, uh, a, a, an attack to try to get their position back, and then they actually pushed out the Russians. I think that, I tell you what, man, I'm rooting for these Ukrainians here, and that is just, that alone, when you get overrun and you get pushed out, and then you can reorganize and you come back and you're able to push out the people that just knocked you off the hill... That has got to be a huge boost of morale. But what else would be a huge boost of morale right now uh, for the president of Ukraine, President Zelensky? He's been having these conversations with Biden uh, going back for several weeks now. But according to a senior American intelligence official that had direct knowledge about a conversation, a recent conversation between President Zelensky and President Biden, President Biden has offered President Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, evacuation from the country and now listen this is kind of there's got to be some irony in here somewhere because we've seen president biden try to pull off a good evacuation before and it did not work out very well in fact when he wanted people to get out of afghanistan he had jen saki his press secretary just telling the press pool well they've got our phone number yeah we're gonna get everybody out that wants out they've got our phone number as if as if there's people stranded in the mountains of Afghanistan and they're like, oh, I got four bars. Let me just give Jen Psaki a call. <laughs> but like, that's what she told the press, you know, 
If you want out, we're going to get you out. And of course, we know today that there is at least one American there, um, uh, an American contractor who's being held captive by the Taliban. That wasn't even part of the negotiation when we were negotiated with the Taliban, how we were going to pull out. That wasn't even part of the negotiation to get that guy out. But there's a lot of other American civilians there. A lot of other American citizens that have either been part of the military's effort, America's effort, or are, who are there for other reasons, or maybe even have family there still. And we haven't gotten any of them out. But right now, just over this last week, since the invasion started, President Biden has told President Zelensky, I want to get you out of there. Let's get you out. President Zelensky responded, and basically what he said is, we are in the middle of a fight. He goes, I need ammunition not a ride. I tell you what, I'm liking this guy more and more. Amazing. Yeah. And and then and then later, later in that evening, um, there's a video. I think this is of President Zelensky. It shows him in a military tent drinking coffee, helping personally coordinate the defense of Kiev. I mean, this did you know, Max? You would probably know. I didn't know this till I read it in an article. You would know because you're there he is watching it on television. Oh yeah. He's forty four years old. Wow. He's 44 years old and he's helping like he is he is in this fight and he is staying there to defend his country. That that is pretty remarkable. It is. But he's an actor. I did. I, I did know that his background, he was, I, I think, a, a comedic actor, possibly a comedian for a while, and an, an actor. And uh, I know that sometimes uh, when this has been reported, people think, look at that quizzically like, wow, he's an actor. And now he's a world leader. Well, Ronald Reagan obviously was an actor and a world leader so i mean we do have some actors who've gone on to uh to political office but yes no he's uh is shaping up to be a, a, a remarkable man i i do worry that um i mean he has to be aware these could be his last days and i think that's what is making him so courageous and so brave right now yeah i think that i think when people are in a situation like that this is a situation like this either brings out the worst of people or mm-hmm. the best of people absolutely and i think that what we're seeing right now with uh, uh president Zelensky is it this is bringing out the best in him i think that i think the ukrainians have at this point from all everything i can tell uh they've got a real leader uh, in well, their executive branch. And when you need your citizens to take up arms, uh, which, of course, is a horrific situation that you would hope would never happen, when your leader stays and fights alongside you, that's going to inspire so much uh, uh, bravery with your assistance. Had he left, had we flown him out, I don't oh, know yeah. if, how, how it would be going right now. So. It, that would be like giving the country to Putin. Uh, yes. I, yeah. I don't even know why. I don't. I honestly, I think that's such a, a failure of leadership on our president's part to say, "Hey, let's just get you out of the country," and like just abandon the rest of the people Doesn't there. Doesn't it kind of speak to possibly what President Biden would do in that situation? Uh, you know, I unfortunately, I think it does. Like, it just makes you wonder if if the shoe was on the other foot. <laughs> you know, would he be getting on the plane? Yeah. But I think so. Interestingly enough, also did not Ronald Reagan one time did he ever play the U.S. president in a movie? Ooh, that's a great trivia question. I don't believe so, but I can look that up. Because President Zelensky, um, I had read an article that was talking a little bit about his background, and he played the president of Ukraine. No way. On film. Oh wow. Previously, and that's now, quite an audition reel. I, I tell you what, <laughs> this could this could be a movie in and of itself, a, a movie about a guy who played somebody in a movie and then later became that guy. <laughs> Because, like, what this is just this is really it's just an incredible story. It really is just an incredible story. Here he is, a forty-four-year-old former actor, 
runs for office, winds up becoming the president of Ukraine, and now is equipping the men and the women and even the children, it sounds like. You're seeing pictures of him on Fox News right now. Those are kids. Look at that. Wow. There's like It looks like an eight-year-old girl with an AK-47, but these people are fighting for their land. They're fighting for their country. You have and- brought up TikTok and you brought up Instagram. I was scrolling through Twitter, and there's so much information coming directly from Ukraine, from citizens there. And I, I was reading this one thread of this young lady was probably in her 20s and she was talking about how she had arranged safe passage for her elderly parents that they were going to be able to get out of the country and instead they went and uh, got some weapons and they took up arms and they said we are staying oh my word see unbelievable see in like the statistic that we were talking about in the last in, in the last uh, segment the last hour that one third of Americans still sleep with a stuffed animal. I it just makes you it just makes you want to like ditch all the wokeness and say we need to we need to toughen up. I mean these people this this is like a Western country. You know this is a, a, a developed country. They're not underdeveloped. It's not a third world country. They got industry. They have education. They have universities, and this is what's happening there. And and the people are taking up arms and they're going to war. They're going to war in their streets. For their own homes. And President Zelensky, I got to hand it to him, uh, saying, no, I'm not leaving. I'm sticking around. President Biden, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. Now, this, however, what's going to happen here? And this is what I'm a a little bit fearful of. Uh, Let's play. um, There's another clip here of Tucker Carlson. I'm trying to see. I just saw it right here on the sheet. Let's play it. Clip number one. Until last night, the main purpose of our foreign policy was to prevent Russia from invading Ukraine. Obviously, that failed. At some point, we should figure out why. But what's our top goal now? Well, there's several of them. First and most obviously, avoid a full-scale war with a nuclear-armed adversary. And to be fair, very few people in Washington want anything like that. War with Russia is so obviously a bad idea. But that doesn't mean we won't have one. Wars often break out accidentally, or more often, incrementally. Things escalate, and the next thing you know, you've got Verdun with many thousands dead. There you go. What he just said, wars often, they escalate, they break out incrementally. I think of Vietnam. We had originally sent advisors over, I think in the 1950s. Uh, The French had been pulling out of Vietnam. It was originally like a French colony, you know, and... uh, the U.S. had sent advisors over there to kind of help the South Vietnamese push back against the North Vietnamese, the communists that were encroaching, you know, and trying to spread communism. And so that went from just us having advisors over there offering a little bit of military assistance. No, no, no. We're not waging a conflict. We're not going to be here for war. We're not going to pick up arms. We're just going to send advisors over. But little by little, it turned into, well, we need to send some troops over. We need to send a brigade of tanks over. We need to send a fighter wing over. And next thing you know, we're entrenched in a war in Vietnam that's lasting years and years and years and results in thousands and thousands of, uh, of Americans, servicemen and women dead, uh, but also a lot of people in the in, right there in Vietnam. And so what Tucker Carlson's talking about, how wars break out incrementally, we have already sanctioned Putin. We've sanctioned Russia. We've sanctioned these two regions that Putin is recognizing as uh, Russian governments uh, that are in Ukraine. And now, now that the war has broken out, now that there's bullets flying, there's missiles flying, now that there's people running through the streets, now that the president of Ukraine is actually on the ground inside these military tents helping direct and coordinate the defense of his own country. He's telling President Biden, I don't need a ride. 
If I was listening to that conversation, I wouldn't be surprised if he said, hey, yeah, thanks for your sanctions. But what we need right now is we need ammunition. Once we send the actual first bullet over there, that is going to be a game changer already with what we've seen happening. But once we commit to arms, whether it's our troops carrying them or whether it's us giving them to the Ukrainian troops, that is going to escalate this to a completely different level. And that's the incremental war that breaks out that Tucker Carlson was speaking of. So don't hold your breath yet, folks. This is, I, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to play, I have a little character that I like to play from time to time. His name's Paul Stradamus. <laughs> I like to make predictions. And I predict, I predict that the U.S. involvement here is not going to end with some sanctions and with advice. We have already staged troops. Like, we have sent troops over there. We have troops on call, on ready. You don't do that unless you're also willing to commit to using them. If this was just sanctions, then our whole effort would consist of a bunch of suits inside an office meeting with President Biden at the White House to talk about rush, to talk about sanctions. No, 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 no. We have had troops on the ready, on call. We have been moving and positioning people around. This could get ugly, much more ugly, much quicker than the rest of the world even realizes. And what we're talking about right now is Russia. What about what's happening on the other side of the world with China? Did you know that just for the whole week while Russia was invading Ukraine, China was even refusing to officially acknowledge that Russia had invaded another country? What is going on? We got Russia invading a country, and then China, I don't want to say they're allies with Russia, but I tell you what, they partner up from time to time on some things, and they certainly take advantage of the distraction that the other one is causing the rest of the world. So I think that there's a lot more that's going to happen that could happen, and we need to make sure that our representatives are involved in this process, not just the president. We'll talk about a little bit more about that later. But we're also going to be talking to Virginia Cruda later. And coming up in the next segment, we're going to be talking a little bit about President Biden's Supreme Court pick. He just picked somebody. We're going to talk a little bit about her in some of her previous cases. This is Paul Kerman and Max Foise in the studio today, filling in for Randy Tobler on The Randy Tobler Show. Welcome back. This is Paul Kurtman. Filling in for Dr. Randy Tobler this morning. And we have been talking so much about what's been happening in Europe right now. Uh, this whole Ukrainian situation, uh, Russia invading. And uh, man, what a we got the we got the TV playing right now, and it's just it's like breaking news every second because there's something else going on. I mean, we, me and Max were talking during the break. I don't feel like I've seen this type of combat, urban combat happening in Europe. I haven't seen this kind of stuff on a TV screen. It's been a long, long, long time since I was a kid. But we got to break away from this for just a little bit because there's other news. There's other news that's important that we got to get to. Uh, President Biden, he's made his pick. You know, he said he was going to pick an African-American woman. That was... That was the criteria for picking somebody to the highest court in the land. He didn't say when he said he was going to pick somebody to replace Justice Breyer. He didn't say, I'm going to pick somebody that has a well-reasoned 
understanding of the U.S. Constitution, because it's vital that our judges have that reasoning and that philosophical understanding of our Constitution in order to execute justice, as they said on the highest court in the land. No, 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 no. He didn't say that. He said he's going to pick somebody who's an African-American woman, and he has. Uh, In fact, President Biden said, for too long, our courts haven't looked like America which is just a remarkable statement to me because that's like saying Congress doesn't look like America. Like the people that wind up in these leadership positions on courts, they kind of do look like America. And I say that because if you're being appointed to a court, you're being appointed by somebody who was elected by the people to make that appointment. Also, there are nine seats, obviously, on the Supreme Court, and until the Democrats want to expand so they can stack it, but that's another uh, topic. Even if you had a very diverse uh, makeup of those nine people, it still wouldn't, quote, look like America, because there's more than nine different uh, ethnicities and, and backgrounds in this country. So it's a weird yardstick to say it has to look like America. I'm not sure what that means. Yeah, I don't think you'll ever have a court that looks like America. But what the court should look like is not so much a reflection of diversity in the American people. The court should be a representation, a philosophical representation of what the Constitution's intentions are. For example, you know, do you want the court to really say you don't want activist judges on the Supreme Court? You don't want activist judges in general. You certainly don't want them on the Supreme Court uh, because. At, at that point, we've you've we've lost all point of reference of what America's is supposed to look like, you know, as far as like our understanding of what the proper role of government is. But President Biden said for too long, our courts haven't looked like America, and so he nominate he nominated, and I do not want to mispronounce her name, but it's spelled K E T A N J I. I have not heard anybody say it yet, and I have not heard her speak yet. Uh, it looks like Ketanji Brown Jackson as the first black woman. To the Supreme Court, uh, I don't know enough about her at this point to let anybody know what I think about her. But I do have some information uh, from some of her previous rulings, and so we'll talk about that here in a minute. But she's currently a judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals in the District of Columbia. When she was given this nomination, she said, I am truly humbled by the extraordinary honor of this nomination. Uh, It's been two years since Biden's promise to nominate the first black female to the highest court. Uh, And so she's going to be the sixth woman ever to serve on the Supreme Court if, in fact, she gets confirmed by the U.S. Senate. But there's, there's also a lot to unpack here because it turns out since she's been on the Court of Appeals, a lot of what she has done has been trying to undo uh, a lot of the things that the Trump administration was going to do or was, what it was trying to do. On September 4th, 2019, in the Center for Biological Diversity versus Michelinan, these are some strange names on these on these case titles, but... Uh, Uh, Judge Jackson held that Congress had stripped the federal courts of jurisdiction to hear non-constitutional challenges to the U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security's decision to waive the environmental requirements to facilitate construction of a border wall on the United States and Mexican border. So basically what happened here is while they were wanting to build the border wall, there's a lot of, you know, and you got to save the planet. 
environmentalism, climate change. There's all kinds of things that we're doing now regulatory wise to make sure that before you build anything, you got to get multiple permits. You got to test the soil. You got to do all kinds of stuff. Well, they had waived a lot of these requirements so that way they could get the wall up. And folks, listen, we're not talking about a building that has utilities, that has water, that has fuel. We're talking about a wall, literally. I don't know if anybody's ever built a fence like around your yard, but usually the most you do is you dig a hole, pour concrete in it, and then stick a post into the concrete. And that's pretty much all that goes in the ground. You do a bunch of those, and then you throw up a bunch of wooden slats or run some chain link across it. So we're talking about a wall. We're talking about a fence. So I don't know how how much damage you're going to do to the environment by building a wall, because it's not like it's running pipelines or gas or anything like that. So one of the things that uh, Judge Jackson Judge Jackson had done uh, was she overruled the waiver of the environmental protections uh, that were required before they could start constructing the wall. Keep in mind that this wasn't just any wall. This was the American-Mexican border wall that was going up because we were having such an incredibly large influx of immigrants coming illegally across the border. Now, you can have different ideas about about border policy, and you can have different ideas about what it means to have uh, immigration law and what that all should look like. But one thing is pretty clear. When you have gigantic migrant caravans making their way up from as far south as Central America, through Guatemala, through uh, Panama, through Guatemala, through uh, Mexico, coming all the way up to the southern border, you don't want any of them to just be able to walk across the border without going through the legal process to gain legal access to the country. I mean, just throughout the whole COVID situation, right? You're getting fired if you don't have a vaccine. Meanwhile, President Biden's administration is taking people across the border illegally who haven't had a vaccine. And what you might not know is some of these people have been flown all around the country and have been deposited in different cities. There was a video that broke online. I don't know if this was a Project Veritas. I don't know where it came from. But there was a video that showed these folks getting off the plane. I watched it, and one of the guys that was standing there helping these people kind of board the plane and get their duffel bags or whatever, he was asked, does the town, do the people around here know that these folks have been flown in tonight? And he said, no, nobody knows. Nobody's supposed to know. Yeah, this would be really bad if it hit the media. And now it's a video, like online. This guy's actually saying this. So while we're having a problem with people coming across the border illegally, and so we need to put a wall up just to make sure we say, hey, if there's a wall here, go use the door. Judge Jackson overruled the uh, environmental waivers that were previously authorized to just allow them to get started building the wall. That was one of the things that she did. But that wasn't the only thing. She really seemed like she was involved trying to push back against so much of what uh, President Biden, I'm sorry, President Trump had been working on and the agenda that he was he was really trying to move forward. Here's another one. <clears throat> um, let me see. January 20, okay, September 29th, 2019, Judge Jackson issued a preliminary injunction in Make the Road New York versus, this is the same word again, Mc, McAleenan. 
blocking an agency rule that would have expanded fast-track deportations without immigration court hearings for undocumented immigrants. Jackson found that the U.S. Department of Homeland Security had violated the Administrative Procedures Act because its decision was arbitrary and capricious and the agency did not seek public comment before issuing the rule. Now, listen, there's there's a lot to be said here about agencies when they issue rules are usually supposed to take public comment, but I'm not sure that they always have to take public comment. But when we have people that enter the country illegally, she's, it seems like she's really has really been involved pushing back on uh, immigration policy that President Trump was trying to enforce. Because in this particular case, uh, they were trying to expand the fast track deportations. In other words, if somebody comes in illegally and we know they're here illegal, we know they're here illegal. We know that they're 100% undocumented. We know where they came from. It's just really a matter of just making sure that we get them back where they originally came from. But what some people on the far left want to do is make sure that we assign constitutional rights. And in some cases, this makes sense. Some cases, it makes sense just to give people to make sure people have due process. But if we know somebody's here illegally, do we need to give them a complete hearing? Do we need to give them um uh, stay in prisons or stays in hotels? Do they get probation so they can continue to walk around and maybe disappear again? They're already here illegally. And what President Trump wanted to do is he wanted to expand the fast track process that we had to make sure that the influx of immigrants that were coming across the border, we could just hurry up and turn them around and get them back. It's a problem. It was a problem that the, that, uh, the U.S. was dealing with, and it continues to be a problem today. And Judge Jackson uh, got in the way of that, and she said, no, 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 you can't do that. These people all have to have their due process. They have to have their hearings. And this is, this is kind of – let's talk about immigration for just a second because it parlays right into this situation with Judge Jackson. Citizenship comes with certain privileges that other people who are not citizens don't have. In fact, you don't have to be a citizen if you're here on a work visa. If you have immigrated, but you've immigrated lawfully, even if you're not a citizen, the fact that we have given you entry into the country through a legal process, you're going to have all the rights that are reserved for citizens with the exception of maybe voting, unless you live in New York City, in which case they'll probably still allow you to vote. They just recently tried to get that through. They might have already gotten that through. But if you're not a citizen, if you're not a citizen and you're here illegally, you can't expect to have all the rights reserved by our Constitution for people who are citizens. Historically speaking, going all the way back to the ancient Roman Empire and before, you can see the way this works even in tribal governments around the world. You don't get rights unless you're a citizenship. Citizenship is supposed to mean something. And if it doesn't mean anything, then we are in really, really dangerous territory. That was my question was, if you are here illegally, why would you be entitled to due process? Just recently with the Olympic Games, they had to once again remind Americans, when you go to China, when you are in Beijing, you don't have the rights that you have as an American. You don't have free speech. You don't have any of that because you're in their country and it's when in Rome. And so if you are here illegally, why would you even have due process? I mean, I don't want to sound cruel, but you don't automatically have our rights if you just cross a border. Did you know that if American goes to Mexico, we don't have the same rights that Mexicans have? And like that's, but that's not new. No, like it's not. The, no, that's how things work. It's the way it works. That's why you want to become a citizen. That's why you go through that process. 
That's right. That's exactly right. That's why you go through the process of becoming a citizen because you're trying to attain to the citizenship of the country of America. Because it's the as like Ronald Reagan used to say, it's a light on a it's a shining light on a hill, and that's what people want. I don't think people are I don't think people are risking life and limb to be here because they want to make sure citizenship in America doesn't mean anything. So I don't think it does any service. Uh, to create these rules that just completely diminish and erode and chip away at what citizenship means because the people that are coming here want it. But if they're coming here illegally, we can't, we just, you can't become a citizen if you're coming here illegally. So anyway, this, it seems like that, that judge Jackson, I'll say your name again. I just don't want to mess it up, but it's Katanji Brown Jackson. Uh, it just sounds like she has maybe I don't want to say she was an activist judge because if a if a if something is put before her she has to rule on it and maybe she is trying to rule within the confines of the law but it's so it's it so much could mean anything or nothing at all in fact Thomas Jefferson once warned us he said uh, that we need to strictly follow the constitution otherwise we might make it a blank paper by construction in which it means everything or nothing and so that's kind of what I'm afraid that we would get with somebody else uh, who tries to um, bend and twist and stretch and really look for things within regulatory law to use that as a precedent to say that we don't have to follow the Constitution as it's written. But anyway, she's been nominated, so she's going to have her confirmation hearing in the U.S. Senate chambers, and this will be interesting to watch. I uh, I don't know who sits on that committee right now on that Senate on that uh, on that confirmation hearing, but this is no doubt going to get a lot of airtime. I do think that President Biden, uh, Justice Breyer, is is still on the court right now, and I know that President Biden has been getting some flack because Russia just invaded Ukraine this week. President Biden has really taken a pivotal role, or at least tried to, in terms of whipping up support globally to offer some the offer the Ukrainians some protection. And then in the middle of all that, while Justice Breyer, he's still on the court, he didn't resign and walk away. He's not dead. President Biden decides, hey, now's a perfect time to nominate a new member to the Supreme Court. Timing. Even if he would have just waited a week or two. Timing, but uh, but she's gonna have her she's gonna have her time in in the hearing, and I'm really interested to watch it. I know right here on News Talk STL, you're gonna get plenty of analysis, not just on the Ukrainian situation, but you'll get plenty of analysis also on exactly uh, what type of judge Judge Katanji Brown Jackson is and what kind of justice she might be. Hey, coming up in just a little bit, we're gonna be hearing from Virginia Cruda from the Daily Wire who is an excellent writer, and I would highly recommend that you follow her on social media. Stick around after the break. We'll be coming right back up here in just a few minutes, and we'll be talking to Virginia. Tobler, Truth Warrior, Woke Destroyer, on News Talk STL. I wore my sneakers, but I'm not a sneak. My Adidas 
And here we are coming into the final segment of the second hour of the Randy Tobler Show. This is Paul Kurtman filling in for Randy Tobler while Randy's out today. And as is a usual guest on the Randy Tobler Show, with us now is Virginia Cruda, author at the Daily Wire. Virginia, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. And I suspect as any... uh, any writer, any news junkie, uh, especially people over the Daily Wire, I suspect yeah. you're paying very close attention to what's going on in Ukraine right now. In fact, I saw an article up that you just recently wrote about um, a recent vote that was taken in, by the UN. By the by, was it by the Security Council? Could you explain to f- folks exactly what that was about? Yeah. Uh, so the UN Security Council has um, they, they have five permanent members. And then they have a series of, like, every year they have uh, kind of guest members. And the five permanent members have veto power. And one of the five permanent members is Russia. And of the five, they rotate who uh, controls the meeting. So who's the president of the meeting? It's, it's kind of done on a rotational basis. And currently, Russia is the president. So if, if you can picture this, Russia is presiding over the Security Council meeting that's going to determine whether or not Russia is condemned for its actions in Ukraine. That, that's, what, that's what was going on going into the meeting. And so people have already started the call for Russia to be booted from the council entirely because you can't be a member of the Security Council if you are waging war against another country. Um, but what's interesting is that they did actually hold the vote. The resolution to... They, It's a resolution to deplore the actions of Russia and to call them to stop, okay? Um, And the United States drafted the resolution. Russia vetoed it, and China abstained, which is interesting because if you remember at the Olympics, there was that photo of um, Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping standing together, and they announced, that they had an enduring friendship that was going to, they were going to have each other's backs when it came specifically to Russia and Ukraine. And then again, between uh, Russia and Taiwan. So, so all of that kind of foreshadowed what happened yesterday at the security council meeting. And now we have, I think Claudia Tenney of New York um, has drafted a resolution and they're going to send it to president Biden He's supposed to, they want him to use his power to get Russia kicked off the Security Council entirely. Not just out of the presidency or the permanent membership, but gone. And uh, the reason the five current members are, the current permanent members exist, I believe it's France, Italy, or is it France? I, I know it's France, the UK, the United States, Russia, and China are permanent members. And the reason they are the permanent members is because they are the countries that allied against the Axis in World War II. So these are the people who fought against Japan, against Germany, against Italy in World War II, and they've been an alliance since 1949 for that reason. Um, And other countries, as I said, have rotated onto that council, but those are the five members, and that's why. And it's the five members that take turns acting as president of that council? Yes. Okay, so so if if Russia is currently the president of that council, I'm surprised that this resolution even came up. Um, I don't know if 
that they could have stopped it from I coming think up. If, I it's, if a certain number of members want it to come up, it's still going to come up for a vote, but then they have veto power. Okay, I I'm see. not sure exactly the inner workings. I'm not as as well versed on, um, but the interesting situation this poses. Obviously, we're looking here at a scenario where Russia is in charge, and we're talking about Russian aggression against Taiwan. But or Russian against I'm getting ahead of myself. Russian ag- aggression against Ukraine, but it's foreshadowing the possibility that we could later on have a similar situation where China is the rotating president and. We're dealing with a situation where China is is trying to annex Taiwan. You know, I was I was just talking with Max about that earlier in the show. Like we see everything happening right now with Russia going into Ukraine. And I know that throughout the week, China had not even been officially recognizing the fact that Russia had invaded Ukraine. Like when when pressed on it, when asked about it, like they they would just ignore it like. We're not like, really sure what's happening over there. Yeah, like they couldn't, <laughs> like like they weren't sure what was real, what was false news, and what what was truth. You know, it's it's just so fishy and just incredibly. Um, you know, I I noticed something about that too. It's it's interesting, and this is this is something that's really concerned me. And you you might understand this, threading this needle a little better as somebody with military experience. But there seems to be. It seems that everything except for gender has to be binary. Like if you're for one thing, you must be against the opposite. And and I'm looking at this situation and I think that it's possible to believe two things at once. And the first thing being that if Vladimir Putin has war on his heart, and it it appears that he does, nothing will stop him short of military aggression bigger than he is. Mm -hmm. It's possible to believe that and it's and also believe that whenever there is a global conflict, the answer is not to send American troops. You can believe both of those things at once. And it seems like that people, people who believe that, no, no, you're not going to stop him with sanctions. It's going to take someone pushing back with a military bigger than his. You can believe that without also believing that, well, the answer obviously is to send the American military to crush him. Yeah, I think um, I think I've been throughout my life, and there of, seems to be a lot of a lot of. Well, obviously, if you believe it's going to take a military, then you want American children to die. Well, that's not what I said. I, I, <laughs> I said that Putin has. You, you need a bigger bully. I feel like what you just said perfectly describes me over like the last 20 years having felt different ways about different things mm-hmm. you know because it's because yeah. it's kind of like a philosophical journey from one conflict to the next but with this situation one of my f- big concerns though and, and I don't want the US to be entangled in a war I do not want that to happen right. I'm not sure what the strategic uh, purpose yeah. uh, is here if Ukraine's not even part of NATO so we're not bound to anything right now but you also see what's happening with China on the other side of the planet i know that they have you know they have routinely sent fighter aircraft into taiwanese airspace it seems like they've really been ratcheting that up and for the last 10 or 15 years they've been building islands you know um in the ocean so i feel like that this could really blow up into another global conflict and whether or not the u.s is even prepared to wage war on two fronts with both china and russia i think i'm just not sure we are well, I, I, that's what I wonder. And, and the thing is, 
you know, we talk about it's a global conflict and it's, you know, people say, well, this is between Russia and Ukraine. The problem is, you know, and, you know, some of you go back to George Washington, you know, don't get involved in foreign entanglements. And while that is a, a noble goal, it's a very different scenario when instead of taking two and a half months to cross the ocean, it takes a matter of hours. And it's not just it takes us a matter of hours. It takes the people with things that want to kill us a couple of hours to come our way. And I know you understand this, that some of some of the strategy isn't do we want to put down this rebellion so that we can save the oil? It's do we need to make a statement to prevent an attack on our soil next? You know, sometimes you have to fight the battle over there to avoid one over here. And anyone who's watching what's going on in Kiev right now does not want that happening over here. So it's it's a delicate balance, which I know you understand better than most. And the question is, where where do we draw the line and what are we willing to sacrifice? Because it's one thing to say, well, this is going to impact our gas prices. And sure, we already know that. Um, but, you know, is it going to impact our gas prices more or less than the idiotic energy policy decisions that have been made up to this point? We don't know. You know, and the question then is, what's it going to impact after the gas prices? Because what are the odds that Putin's going to stop at Ukraine? I mean, there's another there's another council meeting that was not mentioned, and this was was this was in NATO. Um, there was an Article Four meeting triggered, which is basically um, any member of any member nation feels that their territorial integrity is being threatened they can call this meeting and say, what do we do next? How do we, how do we make sure that we're secure? And this was called by a number of the former Soviet bloc states, Lithuania, Estonia, um, the Czech Republic. These are all countries that are saying, uh, Poland too, we, we need to be vigilant because what are the odds that he's going to stop once he gets through Ukraine? Is he going to, is he going to come for our borders next? Um, because everybody's worried that he wants to rebuild the Soviet bloc. And if yep. that's the case, they are in danger. Yep. And some of them are NATO countries, in which case we're involved whether we want to be or not. That's right. And I know that the way they feel about it is probably a lot different than the way we feel about it here in America. You know, they're much closer to the situation. Well, we've, never, we've never had that kind of invasion. We've never been... I mean, I, yeah. I make this comparison a lot because it's something that I know a little bit more about. But, you know, my grandfather served in Belgium at the Battle of the Bulge. And what most people don't think about. In Virginia, Virginia, is, we're about ready to yeah. we're about ready to cut off for the rest of the hour. But uh, we'll talk with you again about this. We'd love to do that some more. Oh, sure. All right. Thanks. That's Virginia Cruda. This is Paul Kerman filling in for Randy Tobler here at News Talk STL. Funky, fresh.